But when it comes down to good treatment, you need to individualize. So yes, a young woman could uh, try progesterone in the second and a half of the cycle, but she may need it during the first half of the cycle as well, even when she's menstruating. So you figure it out. Each woman figures it out in conjunction with her prescriber. And that's one of the things that we go into such depth with in the book, because it's a partnership between prescriber and the woman. These hormones are going into the woman's bodies and they're so individualized. So you do that partnership, that synergy, and ultimately you wind up with an optimal program. Dr. David Rosensweet, welcome officially to the Fit Mother Project podcast, my friend. Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, did I pronounce <laughs> that correctly? <laughs> you are. I'm very I'm good. Most honored. Thank you. Well, this is going to be a really powerful and fun conversation, and something I think I could even say is a long time coming to have uh, an expert of your caliber come on and talk about this world of hormones and bioidentical hormones. And I, I know I read some stuff in the intro, but I just want to edify you some more, like. You are one of the pioneers of this field, which is so cool because I'm sure your career, you've seen just this explosion of something that you saw early in your career was like, wow, I think this is going to be really big. Hormones are foundational to our anti-aging and vitality. And now look at the landscape now. It's everywhere. And I think it's only expanding now when women are getting a better grasp on how to live well through menopause and the different kinds of changes. So I want to go deep today on all things hormones. So please, though, give us a little background on why you got interested in this when you were in medical school and like what prompted you to become you know, someone so interested in, in female hormones. I love medical school. It was like a temple to me. It was a very sacred experience. And yet, as I was wrapping up my senior year, I wondered, gee... Um, are there any other tools out there to help people get well? And then in, when I went into practice, I could tell that the people were coming to me, they wanted to get results. They wanted to improve their health and heal. And so I went seeking tools. Uh, this is as early as 1970. And I wound up discover, you know, exploring the world of nutrition and toxicity and exercise and mm-hmm. the elephant in most people's room how we respond, functionally or not, to stress. And um, I, so I had a functional medicine practice long before it had a name. And, and 30 cool. years ago, one of my patients in her mid-40s, uh, brilliant, she had retired in her mid-40s, think about that moment. Um, she came storming into my office one morning, extremely upset and said, look, don't think you know me, I'm actually going crazy, which was a surprise to me because I knew her quite well. And serendipitously, so to speak, I had been speaking with a world expert on progesterone. Dr. John Lee gave her some progesterone. Three weeks later, I get a letter from her saying, I can't believe this stuff. I'm totally myself again. That was very impressive. I've never really guided my career or in many ways my life. It's unfolded, so to speak. And yeah. and uh, before I knew it, I had this menopause uh, practice. And it really suited me well. It was time for me to specialize because I couldn't get my arms around the functional knowledge medicine world, but data knowledge base anymore was gotten mm-hmm. too huge. Yeah. And so it was a perfect fit. I started zeroing in and specializing in treating women and now men in menopause and andropause 
and it's extremely rewarding. That is beautiful. <laughs> and I, I love I love what you said, and it just resonates with me deeply. You said your life has kind of unfolded. Right. And I and I'll, I'll not to push anything on you, but I think that's the hand of the divine moving through yes. with your interests, and like that's a powerful combination, and means you're deeply on purpose. Now, yeah. I want to get a little a little technical for a moment, and and maybe define at least for the ladies listening some of the main hormonal levers that we do have, some of the main hormones that we do have, the ones that you pull. You mentioned progesterone. Other ones that women are certainly familiar with would be estrogen maybe pregnant alone, like what are some of the, and even testosterone, right? I mean, very valid as well. So can you give us a little bit of a landscape of, of the biochemistry around this time of menopause? Like what are some of these hormones? What are their functions? And like, what are you kind of looking at? And I know that's a big question and it's probably pretty individual, <laughs> pretty but insofar as you could kind of give us the real basics so someone can understand this, it'd be helpful. Um, women, the ovaries produce four hormones and they all really matter. And they're very powerful. They're some of the most powerful biochemicals in our body and their output, the women peak around the age 20 plus or minus a couple of years and then gradually decline. Then have a rather precipitous decline when estrogen gets too low and they stop having periods, but the decline carries on. Well, the consequence of this is enormous. Um, these hormones are found in the brain and the bones and the muscles everywhere you can think of. So 85% of women, when by the time the estrogen gets that low for no period, they start experiencing life disruptive symptoms. Yeah. Mood, can't sleep, no energy, vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy, pain on intercourse, loss of muscles. You mentioned testosterone. Um, loss of cognition. You know, small, medium, large, severe in 85% of the women. I think the severity is very useful because it it takes a, it drives women to seek solutions. And the solutions are replenishing of the hormones, not to useful levels for most women. There are exceptions. But uh, to levels that really sustain the bones, the vagina, the muscles, so important, mm -hmm. the brain, the arteries. Yeah. And so it's the estrogen family, progesterone, testosterone. Testosterone is not a male hormone. It's a human hormone. Women need it as much. It's what keeps women out of assisted living facilities and nursing homes for the most part. So they don't lose their muscles. So yeah, come, they're coming out of the ovary for men. We're coming out of the testicles. This is for women. I'll stick to it. Women. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, I, I think, and also it brings up the concept of what's natural. And I've actually listened to some of your talks and in, in podcasts before. And you make this point that I think is really cool. There's this bias that we have that we all want the natural solution. It seems like it's the right way to go. But in a sense, like these bodies have a natural trajectory of decay, right? Yeah. Menopause and andropause are as natural as, as you can be. And I think people naturally experience frustration when they do the same diet and exercise stuff, but it stops working when they're 55 and their estrogen levels tanked, right? That is a natural experience for millions of people. So yeah. how do we rectify this idea of, you know, maybe a natural bias with, we can do therapies that are not exactly natural. I mean, we can use natural hormones and natural delivery methods, but it's kind of getting us on an unnatural, but maybe even better course. Let's speak into a little bit of the philosophy of treating these hormones. Well, natural in so many spheres of health and healing does matter. Uh -huh. And um, it's been, 
there's been a body blow to natural and why so many more women think natural times 20 when it comes to menopause. And that was this. Women have been treated and men have been treated with hormones for over a thousand years documented. We know that. Yeah. And by 2002, 40% of all American women, 18 million who were in menopause were being treated with hormones. And then out comes this study that was falsely reported. It suggested there was increased risk with one of the arms of the study. And uh, it exploded out of the media and it was seen by healthcare providers and women all over the world. And it said that there was increased risk for breast cancer, heart attack and stroke. And it terrified women and overnight, 18 million went down to one or 2 million. Wow. Yeah. And, And to this very day, you hear echoes of this. Women want to emphasize, well, I'm going to go natural because they're still living with the poison of that information, which was totally false. So if I could take a moment, because I love this question, um, that to really clarify what risk is scientifically, because we know a lot about it. We're all at risk for thousands of diagnoses. We're all at risk for hundreds of cancers as men. We're at an increased relative risk for prostate cancer. And there's new reasons for this. This was not always so. And women are at increased relative risk for developing breast cancer. There's new reasons for this. When I was in medical school, this was not so. Sure. Given that we're at risk for a lot of stuff, here's the science. Women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who are not treated with hormones. I go into this in my book, Happy Healthy Hormones, which your audience is welcome to download a PDF copy of mm-hmm. in chapter three. And there's there's a biblical, <laughs> elevated to the level of Bible reference work on this called Estrogen Matters by an oncologist specialized in breast cancer. If you really wanna get into the details, But that's the science. Women who are Mm -hmm. treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who are not treated. That's good news for for people here to hear. And and does that mean still patients who come in and get treated through your clinic are getting uh, family history work done, seeing if there's hormone-sensitive cancers? Does that factor in? Or is it pretty much even with those potential familial risk factors it's still pretty much better for most people. Well, that's another excellent point. Uh, There's two in there. One is that proper treatment, and we really care about standard of care and developing this as a board-certified specialty, Mm -hmm. needs to be. We go through a rigorous medical process like everyone hoped they would receive when they go to solve a health problem. And uh, you bet you our our practice, our approach to this is very detailed and not more so than other explorations into health issues, but it's, but it doesn't leave anything out in in my opinion. The second part of that question is long before we knew about the receptor sites, the estrogen receptor site beta became known in the late nineties. There was an oncologist, Abram Blooming, who decided his wife and his daughter had breast cancer. He didn't, he, uh, this is long before the Women's Health Initiative, 
that came out in 2002. He's an oncologist who specialized in breast cancer. He treated his wife and daughter with hormones, Premarin, mm-hmm. Premarin Prempro. Yep. And he ran a study. And uh, this is before anything around receptor sites was known. And when and what he saw, it, it, this is where he first started developing the conclusion that women who were, who had prior breast cancer and had that breast cancer pri- properly treated were at less risk for recurrence. Hmm. And that's an additional piece of science that I'd like to add that you brought up yeah. here. That um, women who have had breast cancer and had that breast cancer properly treated, they happen to be at an increased relative risk for the recurrence of that breast cancer. However, if they're treated with hormones, they're at lessened risk for recurrence than if they go untreated. Hmm. That much we know, that's the science. Now there's concern about estrogen receptor site beta. You have a hormone sensitive cancer. It was a very, very gray area. And it's a distinction that Dr. Blooming will not get behind. He said, Mm You know, in any given cancer, the tumor itself, there's cells that are so undifferentiated, they're so out of control, a pathologist can barely recognize them as breast cancer cells other than they were extracted from a breast cancer tumor. They're so primitive, they're so undifferentiated, they're so out of control. But also in those tumors, there's a certain percentage of cells that didn't get that out of whack that mm-hmm. are well, still well differentiated. And then he's breast cancer cell has receptor sites. He said, yeah. it's not those cells within an excised huh. tumor that have been the problem. It's those undifferentiated cells. That's fascinating. Cause we like to think of like, it's this kind of completely homogenous, like group of cells that are expressing the same receptors. And it's like, you all have estrogen positive, estrogen receptor positive cancer cells, but that's cool to realize that you know, okay, we can detect that, but it's the different undifferentiated cells that are more problematic. Oh yeah. And they're not responsive to anything. Yeah. Nor is, nor does Dr. Blooming believe, and we, I've had personal conversations with him. I flew out to LA to meet him when, when he mm. came out with this phenomenal book called Estrogen Matters, in which the science of risk and any woman who's had breast cancer and is concerned about being treated or not treated should read this book. Um, there's mm-hmm. 450 scientific references. This is not based on someone's, uh, I, I think it's a good idea type thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, I want to pivot a little bit because I think we've talked about some of the risks, but I actually would like to talk a little bit about like the benefits, even in the process that someone can go through to get bioidentical hormones. And like, let's make the distinction maybe with what does it mean to have a bioidentical hormone replacement versus non-bioidentical and what does it actually look like in a process? So like, let's say someone comes into your clinic, they get worked up, they're a great candidate for this. You tailor some kind of hormone cocktail for them. How is it delivered? Like, what does it actually look like in someone's life and what do they experience? I want to get into the process right of it all. Well, going back into the history again, the Chinese had bioidentical hormones a thousand years ago. They collected the urine of young women and dried it out. And the powder left behind was given to the aristocrats who did much better than (laughs) the rest of the population. And then, um, you know, it was a good idea that was replicated by the pharmaceutical industry in the 1940s. Instead of collecting human urine, though there was a venture into that, they decided to choose the uh, 
urine of a large animal, a horse, a pregnant mare, and they catheterized these horses and collected the urine, dried them out, and developed the world's most popular and profitable drug of all time up to that time, Premarin, or, pre or combined with a progestin, Prempro. Because there's a lot of hormones in our urine and in mm -hmm. horses' urine. Yep. And, you know, as time went on, in the early 1980s, simultaneously, a pioneer medical doctor, Jonathan Wright, who you mentioned, Suzanne Summers, this is a, he worked with her for years, and also a pharmacist in outside of Dallas, Jim Hernser, had the idea, they had a realization that the pharmaceutical manufacturers were actually producing, though it wasn't very popular, bioidentical, same molecule. Instead of a horse urine, which has 50% of the estrogens in that horse urine, have never been seen by the human female. The pharmaceutical industry had gone so far as to purify from plants, molecularly identical, same molecules the ovary puts out, estrogens, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA. And uh, Jim Hurst is a pharmacist. He was treating his wife. He, he put it in a gel, a skin gel, and it worked. And it was very dramatic. And Dr. Wright did the same thing uh, in Washington. And so that was really the birth of using and prescribing molecularly identical. That's what bioidentical means. Mm -hmm. And they're prepared, for, primarily they're extracted these days from soy. Soy produces a precursor. Pharmaceutical manufacturers have exquisitely precise processes in which they know how to do biochemical conversions. They convert them to the same molecule that's coming out of the testicle or the ovary. Yeah. And so this has been known since the 80s. And I picked up on it in the early 90s. And uh, when I was faced with the choice of, gee, Premarin on this hand or bi compounded bioidenticals on this hand, oh, yeah, I went for the bioidenticals for a lot more reasons than that. Um, there's a level of precision that can be done because women vary so much as to how much estrogen, for example, they need. Some women need this much to be healthy, regularly menstruating, be fertile, carry pregnancies, the term. Other women need three times or more that much. Yeah. They're still healthy, they're regularly menstruating, and everyone's in between. No problem clinically, and I describe the process of dose determination in my book. You just, uh, but we need that level of variation. We also need a hormone called estriol to do best work. The human uh, young woman, she has more estriol coming out of her ovary than she has the sum of estradiol and estrone, the other two bioactive. And so we like to copy nature. And then in the 90s, uh, we come to realize that um, a couple things, based on studies in the 60s, women, healthy women have more estriol than they do the sum. Women who had breast cancer have less estriol than they had the sum of estrone and estradiol. That's when Dr. Wright originally proposed not using just estradiol. He relied on Dr. Lemon's work and decided to uh, use triest and then biased. Biased has a lot of estriol in it, maybe up to 80% of it, because in a female menstrual cycle, every single month, she mm -hmm. prepares for pre possible pregnancy, Yep. She also prepares her breast for possible lactation. That begins, yep. and she gets breast glandular cell proliferation. Mm -hmm. And if she does not get um, pregnant, that breast glandular cell proliferation, that fullness of breast that they experience, 
deproliferates, that, that deproliferation is under the auspices of an estrogen receptor site beta that's primarily influenced by estriol. We want estriol. This is not commercially available. This is available through every one of the 7,500 compounding pharmacists in the United States. So there's a lot of technical issues that have led me towards, uh, right out of the gate actually, to prescribe with hmm. compounding pharmacists. That was really good. And I want to make sure people understand this. And that's basically my quick recap here is there's several different types of estrogen, three in particular that are very important. They vary over the course of life. They have patterns that are indicative of healthier patterns versus unhealthier patterns. Young women have more estriol, lower estriol levels. And that's different than the main estrogen, estradiol, E2, that many people talk about. And that everyone needs to have their own unique preparation that's kind of like dialed in through proper medical application of these things. And when done in this way, this is probably why we see lower risk of women having, you know, certain cancers when they're treated by bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and all this. Like it's just generally protective and goes with the body's rhythms. So what it, how do you deliver these things? Are they pellets? Are they creams? Well, are they pills and some optimal ways to deliver hormones? There's many ways to deliver them. By mouth is not the optimal way for estrogen. A certain number of young women, for example, who were on the birth control pill developed thrombophlebitis, a clot in their legs. Some of them went to their lungs. There's reasons why oral estrogen is not the optimal way to do it. It's rare, but it's, it happens. And so the optimal way to deliver estrogen is by skin, Ap applying it to the skin in some kind of cream or gel, or we've gone ahead and developed an organic oils base, certified organic oils base. There's no solvents in this because the creams and gels are very strong solvents. They have to be to dissolve. Well, we don't ask for dis uh, dissolving. We, we use suspensions. They work beautifully. And so I say, yeah, I want to give you my best shot. The best way to deliver it is through a certified organic oil base mm -hmm. to the skin. Same with testosterone. That's the best. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> keep, keep on going, please. Uh, uh, progesterone. Um, can be, we, we always start a woman off with the same uh, topical uh, application of progesterone, but it also can be successfully and safely delivered orally. Testosterone yeah. cannot be safely delivered orally, although there are some preparations. Most of the preparations that have been available, they're very hard to come by, can damage the liver. So you want testosterone uh, in an oil or a gel. And DHEA can also be successfully delivered oily, but we combine it with the testosterone. So uh, we still no, see no reason uh, in most cases for oral DHEA. So best case, a woman receives three bottles of topical oils. Why three? Because we like the bias administered twice daily. That's the safest, most precise scientifically. We like the progesterone at night because it, is, uh, it helps with sleep. And we like the testosterone and DHEA in the morning. So it breaks down to three different bottles. Nice. That is fantastic. I absolutely love that. And it, and, and it sounds simple enough. Are putting people putting on their, their wrists? Are they putting it on the bottom of their feet? Does it matter where they're putting them? Just anywhere on the skin? Well, it, it can be absorbed from anywhere. The mm -hmm. skin is very absorbent, but some parts of the skin are more absorbent than others. So we recommend that the women put their bias, their estrogen on their soft forearm and then rub it, put a couple of drops on there or a syringe 
and rub it together. We like progesterone and the lateral thighs or the inner thighs. We like testosterone in the lower abdomen, right or left, as if mm-hmm. it was right over the ovary if they were lying down. Mm-hmm. It can be rotated to other sites. Mm-hmm. Um, bottom of the feet, you're the first one in 30 years who have picked up on that because we do recommend occasionally, even though the absorption is not going to be great, estrogen is so good for the skin that we recommend <laughs> that a woman every so often apply a little um, bias to the bottom of her, uh, to the soles of her feet just to nice. improve the skin there. Hey, it's Dr. Ray. I want to quickly pause this episode to thank you so much for listening to this Fit Mother Project podcast. I am just blown away at how amazing this podcast has become, all the powerful stories, all the great expert interviews, and I am so grateful for you for tuning in and being here with everything we're creating here at the Fit Mother Project. And I just wanted to pause to acknowledge you and thank you again for listening. Please keep listening and tuning in to all the great stuff we're doing here at the FMP. Let's get back to today's episode. What's the longest you've had a patient on uh, one of these protocols? Like how many years? 22 years. Huh. That's great. I moved, so I be- I sort of began a practice again in Florida in 2000. I would make a guess that many of the women that we started in the early 90s are still on these. There's no mm-hmm. reason to stop. Mm-hmm. We want uh, No one will separate me from my testosterone until the day I leave Earth. Or I can't yeah. get the cap off. And we recommend the same for the woman because it's a myth that women should only take it for a short period of time. No, that was before people understood what risk really is. No, you take it for your whole life. Does the dosage say the same of a woman who's, let's just say, 55, 60, and then a woman who's taking it at 75? Do the hormone doses go down in any sense, like the area under the curve is lower? Or is, would it be a good idea if you start early enough to just maintain like high, as high hormone levels as still works for people throughout the whole course of life? Excellent question. Uh, we monitor women that we're treating once a year with 24-hour urine hormone testing. And uh, the early stages, the perimenopause Sometimes they don't need quite as much because their ovaries are putting out a certain amount. Mm-hmm. But once they go into menopause, they tend to use a little more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, interestingly enough, most women stay steady for their whole life. <laughs> um, why not? What do we want? We want enough minimal to protect bones and vagina. And yep. it takes a certain amount. Yeah. And so... To maintain the brain, it takes it could take even more. Doesn't that necessarily? Yeah. So to maintain arterial pro, uh, protection, so we don't see these huge declines in need, especially when you take a look. And I, I always uh, point to women on our medical board uh, who are in their seventies and on hormones. To take a look at how good they look. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, that's to say, say no more. I mean, that, yeah. that's something that's always very striking when you see a woman in her 70s who has great skin, great health, great vitality, and everyone wants to know what's she doing. There's a secret there somewhere. (laughs) One of my dearest uh, medical friends and colleagues, Devaki Berkson, she lectures to large audiences on hormones. And the very first thing that people do when they walk up to her is, what are you doing? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. she looks so great and is so active in every way you can imagine in her mid-70s. That's beautiful. 
And I guess that's the promise of getting the hormones in check. And I also want to speak to the ladies right now who are not doing this, who but are still trying quite hard with their exercise and nutrition and maybe feel like you're kind of running up against a wall. Is it fair to say that doing all these things under the presence of hormones will you see it in your your patients that their results just go through the roof? I mean, now they feel like they're doing the right things, but they have the the hormonal engine to to back things up and, and make those lifestyle changes much more effective. Well, glad you mentioned lifestyle changes. They're imperative. We don't get to live the lives we want (laughs) unless we're doing the nutritional and exercise work that is so fundamental to maintaining health. Yet women are not able to sustain it on that alone, nor are men. And the replenishing of the hormones is probably the most potent thing that you can do in, in concert with nutrition, detoxification, exercise, but you need them. And I was told this, taught this in 1968 by a gerontologist. He said, you medical students, you know thousands of diagnoses. Let me tell you what's really happening to old people. They're losing their muscles and their bones and they can't stand yeah. with stability and they fall and fracture their hips and they die. You want to do something for older people? Help them with their muscles and bones. Yeah. And it's not possible in almost every instance to not lose muscle unless you are replenishing testosterone, men and women. Mm-hmm. That's great. And plus exercise is raising these things as well. I mean, I can think of strength training plus the combination of these hormones would probably be one of the Ideal. best things you can do after 50 for your muscles and your bones. Ideal combination. Mechanical stimulation and hormone stimulation. Ideal. All right, so do you, do you work, I'm assuming you work with patients like all over the country, virtual consults. I like, I, I have a few more questions for you, but at this point, I do want to ask you because I'm certainly interested and I'm sure someone else listening is interested how they can get in contact with you and your team, how you work. You mentioned your book, which I obviously might be a good place for people to start to learn more, but like, how do you work with people? And could someone come from this podcast and you know go right to, to a consult or some sort with you and your team? Well, the main thing that I do is I train and mentor physicians and nurse practitioners and physicians assistants to do this mm-hmm. work. Yep. And because we've trained so many, almost in every state, there are people that we've trained and it's, it's nice. growing every day. So the best thing people could do is go to bright.live, B-R-I-T-E mm-hmm. dot live. There's a way mm-hmm. to um, link with and see if we have someone in your state. Yep. Or uh, email directly to Karina, K-A-R-I-N-A, at bright, B-R-I-T-E, dot live. And we'll nice. refer you to someone that is eagerly embracing the method that we choose, which I highly mm-hmm. recommend. Yeah, that's great. Now, I, a couple questions in, in closing here. One is, I want you to speak a little bit about like not just the generation of, of women right now in menopause that you're helping age gracefully and the physicians you're training, but like, let's look at the current young generation. I mean, I, I think that we have a population of young kids that are getting on oral contraceptives earlier, exposed to more toxic environments, not eating great food, dysregulated with circadian rhythms. Like, What's some of your advice, although it's not exactly in your primary wheelhouse for parents raising young kids you know, to help their hormones be right, or even just any commentary on where you think the trajectory of younger generations is going? Excellent question, because it's a challenged generation. And I first met up with this in 1971 when I was through with my internship 
and the rigors of medical school and internship, I was exhausted. And I happened to get a job working for Planned Parenthood. And at first I thought, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I get to relax. I'm basically dealing with young women and giving them birth control pills, young, healthy women. And the more I did it, I started getting uneasy. And by three months, I resigned because I thought giving a young woman a a substance so powerful as to stop their ovulation? Yeah. What is this doing to them hormonally? Well, 55 years later, (laughs) I've gone. There's so much information of how birth control pills... You know, it's a complex topic when you deal with some populations that being able to choose about pregnancy or not is such a big deal yeah, that you would choose the birth control pill. So you never say never in medicine, but for the health concerned who can know how to be responsible for contraception, this is not what I would recommend. This is too many possible complications to young women to take the birth control pill. And I grew up in the era of condoms and diaphragms. I love them. I embrace them. You know, the IUD has gotten so refined. A simple copper-wound IUD can so do so good for someone in a, in a committed relationship. For someone who's mm-hmm. not, you want to add a condom to this to protect against STDs. There mm-hmm. are far better, safer, more healthy ways for contraception, not an easy topic. So you never mm-hmm. say never about the birth control pill, but it's the least favorite of mine for health reasons. Yeah, now, probably because yeah. you have a deepest understanding of how potent these hormones are yeah. than most Jeez. people. So stop <laughs> fertilization. Whoa. Yeah. And it messes yeah. with the woman's cycle and it knocks out her progesterone. And there's other things that knock out the progesterone. Almost what's what's new to this planet are these women who are experiencing early declines of the hormone progesterone. And they're developing, because progesterone is a great calmer, they're developing this anxiety out of the blue. You know, yeah, we all face stresses of life, but when a young woman is lost in anxiety, you want to think first these days that she's no longer producing a robust amount of progesterone. And if she's not regularly menstruating like clockwork, I mean, every 28 or 27 or 29 mm-hmm. days, she's mm-hmm. probably not ovulating. Thus, she's producing almost zilch projectile. Yeah. Yeah. So when a young woman has mood disorders, PMS, pain, pa- very painful periods, um, one of the first things we want to do is, is get an assessment of what's going on there. And most, one of the most likely things we're going to find and can assist them so much with is just a bioidentical progesterone mm-hmm. because that's usually what's going on there. Such a simple thing. It's even available over the counter yeah. in dosages that young women can benefit from. So, um, yeah, that's the worst thing that's happened. Not to And manage. that would be someone could just take that in the latter part of their cycle. And just create a more bioidentical rhythm, or would they take it pretty constantly? Well, that was my first thought. And when I started out prescribing progesterone, since progesterone is so robust, during the second half of the cycle, if a woman ovulates, why not copy nature? That's what I did. But I learned over time that, no, by the time there's not enough progesterone, you probably want to administer every single day. How did I learn this? I taught I taught my patients who were progesterone deficient, look, let's copy nature. Just take it during the second half mm-hmm. of your cycle. Well, the women came back to me and said, boy, during that second half of that cycle, I feel so great. Is there any possibility I could take it during the first half of my cycle? And I thought, well, why not? 
you know? Mm -hmm. It's so beneficial. And uh, uniformly to a woman, they would say to me, well, I already am doing it. It works great. <laughs> Take it every day. I, I just wanted to get your blessing. <laughs> nice. So it's, it's the, it, what it brings up, Anthony. Can I call you Anthony? Yeah, please. Yeah. Please call me David. Okay. Um, what it brings up is that individualization is so critical in this work. We mm -hmm. can have our, our theories of what to do in general, and they're great, they're applicable. But when it comes down to good treatment, you need to individualize. So, yes, a young woman could uh, try progesterone in the second and half of the cycle. But she may need it during the first half of the cycle as well, even mm -hmm. when she's menstruating. So you figure it out. Each woman figures it out in conjunction with her prescriber. And that's one of the things that we go into such depth with in the book. Because it's a partnership between prescriber and the woman. These hormones are going into the woman's bodies and they're so yeah. individualized. So you do For that sure. partnership, that synergy, and ultimately you wind up with an optimal program. Well, that's great. And I think this is my a perfect segue into my final question. And it's driven by a lot of my personal curiosity, but like... What's the next several years look like for you? I mean, your mind is so sharp. You're probably at the peak of your medical wisdom. You're helping create practitioners that can administer this type of proper bioidentical practice. Like, what do you see as your future of your next several productive years or maybe even decades for that matter? Like, what's next for, for David? And if we want, we can circle back to that wonderful topic you suggested in the beginning also. I'd be happy to do that. Well... I'm 81. Wow. I had no idea. I thought, I mean, maybe I was going to throw you in the early 70s. So good job. Yeah. I think you're doing good medicine. And I'll tell you, this is part of it. And I'm at the absolute pinnacle, the, the most creative, enjoyable part of my whole career. And I've always loved medicine. I, I've just, I love it. And I, I loved it in medical school and I love it at the absolute maximum now. I have partners and uh, that are just wonderful. Our mission is to get millions and millions of women back on hormones, men as well. We treat men as well because we feel like this world, this planet desperately needs more feminine energy in the halls of decision, in the home, yeah. in business, and politics, everywhere yeah. that major decisions. So that's, that's how we feel like we can contribute to the healing of the world. And, and we really mean it. <laughs> my partners really mean it. And we've got a wonderful team. Oh my God. So it's big fun. It's like, I can't I can imagine tell. stopping. I don't see a reason to stop. Um, we finally made it to the big, big, big fun. So that's, uh, I'll be doing it. My father practiced until he passed away at 92. So wow. I, was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I, my estimation and intuition says you're on track to certainly surpass him in terms of productive years. And that's saying something because 92 is a practicing doctor is something. Yeah. Cool. Well, I got to say, I, I'm really inspired by you. I thought this was a beautiful conversation. Um, I want to make sure again that people know that your book to go get that because that seems like a really great resource to continue to connect with you as well. Can you mention your book and then um, again those two? There's a couple websites, the the Bright website as well as any other, so people have it on the tip of their minds to go search that now. Well, it's Bright Live, B R I T E dot Live. The book is Happy Healthy Hormones, which they can download off your website, mm -hmm. can't they, Anthony? Yes. We'll be able to have it yeah. in the show notes. Happy, healthy yeah. hormones. And it's a free PDF version of the mm -hmm. whole book. 
And then for professionals, the best way to reach out to our training program is through iobim.org, I-O-B-I-M.org, Institute of Bioidentical Medicine, iobim.org. That's for professionals. Wonderful. David, this is a pleasure. I know you're a busy man, so we're going to get you back to your, your you robust mention, practice. And you want to mention what you, uh, what you and I talked about just before? About some, Suzanne Summers? Yes. Okay. Well, we'll bring it up. I think that that'd be that'd be maybe a nice closer. And like, you know, for those who are most people are probably familiar, Suzanne Summers, you know, actress. I think she invented like the thigh blaster. She had a huge impact on many people getting on bioidentical hormones from her 20 plus books that she wrote over the years on the topic. And um, at the time of recording this, she sadly passed away pretty recently after I believe a multi-decade battle with breast cancer. And so I'm sure this could be an opportunity where many alarm bells could be rung again that, you know, look at this as an example of, you know, estrogen and, you know, how hormones and bioidentical might have played a role in her cancer. So I'd love for you to speak into that in closing. Well, first about uh, the cancer. Um, Cancer is a very serious illness. And like all serious illnesses, it's got a multitude of causes that take place over the course of her life. She didn't mm-hmm. have a, a perfectly stress-free life by any means. For sure. Very busy. And hormones don't cause cancer, but a lot of things do. And, you know, we could go down the list. And she, uh, when she acquired it, although she had the best treatment and she lived for a long time with a great deal of uh, vigor and libido, for example, mm-hmm. um, that illness is a very strong illness and not everyone gets to beat it. But you can dive into Dr. Blooming's book to see that the science actually is that women who are treated with hormones do better in the long run than women who are not treated. Well, she Mm -hmm. she was not one of those who continued to do better. Uh, And the other part about Suzanne Summers is I was deeply touched by her. Um, she, she affected our holistic world amazingly. I once heard her speak in front of a couple thousand doctors at a major conference of A4M. She was brilliant. And she was a health advocate of the highest order. I thought, well, this is an actress, you know, they, they wanted her up there for entertainment. No, she was a world-class speaker. And then I testified in front of the National Academy of Science a committee that they had formed on the safety of efficacy of bioidentical hormones. And three weeks before, I, I was able to contact Suzanne and ask for her support. And if anyone ever views the video, there's a stack of papers there, which is about 300 testimonials. <laughs> she generated them like that. She said, sure. And she just immediately, that day, she posted on some of her social media, please, we want testimonials. Dr. Rosenstreet's going to Washington. And there they were with <laughs> just 300 of them that she produced. So I had a very, and and you know what? I've been to Washington recently on my list in the next two weeks was to recontact her to see if uh, we could garner another level of support from her. So, and it was very sad. And she was a dear friend and of a dear pioneer, Dr. Jonathan Wright, who wrote books with her, who was her physician for one of her physicians for many years. So, well, I'll say this. What feels appropriate to say is, one, it sounds like you did lose a friend, a professional advocate, 
and I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And two, that her work and her dreams do live forward still through your continued energy that you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. This is the world that she wanted to live in, a world with lots of vital people who are have great life energy through this practice. So, you know, I think the physical bodies die, but what we stand for lives on. And I know you're propagating that. So good job. <laughs> and thanks again. Wonderful conversation. Yes, I appreciate you so well. much. And I'm it, excited it to get a, this out to our community. It was a co-creation. So it was special for me as well, Anthony. Thanks, David. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our Complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our Complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast. 